Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. We're brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joe Topiar, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Today, we'll be talking with Aaron Ross of Predictable Revenue about outbound marketing and all means of, uh, of marketing, but focusing on outbound here. Aaron is the author of the award-winning, best-selling book, Predictable Revenue, and has been teaching companies how to double or triple or even more their new sales since he helped Salesforce add an extra $100 million plus in revenue. Now he's turned his attention to building the software platform that will power the next wave of cold calling 2.0 teams. Aaron, really excited to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Let's, yeah. uh, before we jump into outbound marketing, let's talk a little bit about you. That was kind of my half-hearted attempt at introducing yourself. <laughs> sure. Can you tell us what you're up to now and kind of how you got there? Uh, I'll do the, the shortest version I can because we have... Um, so now I'm co-CEO of a company called PredictableRevenue.com. And really our goal is to help companies increase how fast they grow through more predictable lead generation, especially outbound prospecting. But it does uh, affect outbound kind of social selling, outbound marketing. And we can talk about what the difference between outbound marketing and inbound marketing are. They're different things. So we help companies grow more predictably. And got here. A lot of it did start, as you mentioned, I worked at salesforce.com. Uh, it's been a while. There's, I started when there's about 150 people there. And uh, I created the outbound. There's a sales team. Now we call them SDRs, outbound SDRs. But I created a, a prospecting team that helped create a very predictable way to generate as many sales appointments as we needed, good ones. And we pretty much doubled how fast Salesforce was growing. You basically one. said these sales guys are too valuable. They need an assistant to do this early phase. But salespeople shouldn't prospect, right? Yeah. We said salespeople shouldn't prospect because they don't want to do it. They're actually, they're not very good at it. And it's kind of a waste of their time. And by this, I mean, you don't want, you want salespeople doing some prospecting to a five or 10 or a handful of kind of key targets, partners or customers, but you don't want them like cold email and cold calling on these whole lists. It's just, Especially, especially if you have field salespeople, which are incredibly expensive. Right. So you're, you're taking the sales and marketing process and saying, this assembly line is missing a piece. We need to add this in between here to really have people specialize more efficiently. You yeah, developed that exactly. at Salesforce, and now your company is basically saying, this is a really good model. Let's, let's teach other people how to do it. Yeah. So let's, let's assume that most people listening here are in the marketing function. Um, and I don't know how many people are new to marketing these days or been doing it for a while, but one of the, the most significant change is to marketing and in a way that helps marketing get more out of its leads, right? Cause there's this classic complaint. We market, we generate all these leads, salespeople don't follow up. They don't care. They, they, uh, you know, kind of disrespect us and we're generating great leads, but they're not doing anything with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Every company, everyone complains about that. So, it's not your people. If that is still the case where you are, it's not your people. It's not the salespeople. It's not your leads. It's kind of the structure. So uh, incredibly important, I would say a vital structural change that has transformed companies uh, is this idea of sales role specialization or just sales specialization, uh, where instead of salespeople doing everything, right, they're getting leads from marketing, they're doing prospecting, they're closing, they might be doing even managing some accounts, which is way too much for one person to do well. We follow a really like a sports team metaphor. Um, I don't know any sports teams where the coach says, all right, all 10 of you, 
on a soccer field or basketball, wherever you are, right? Everyone go out and attack and defend and do everything. You got attackers, defenders, a goalie and midfield and so on, but not in sales. It's changing, right? And the fastest growing companies in the world follow the predictable revenue model with specialized salespeople. What that looks like is you have prospectors who prospect, you have uh, inbound lead responders who respond to inbound leads, right? So the outbound prospectors now are often called outbound SDRs, sales development reps. The team, if you have inbound leads, hopefully you do, if this is a marketing podcast, if you have inbound leads, you have uh, often they're called inbound SDRs, right? Their whole job is to review all the leads that come in and respond to the ones that you're responding to and sort out the ones that are worth passing to salespeople. So ideally you won't only have SDRs, you'll have different types of SDRs specialized on different acts. I mean, yeah, I imagine it, a large enough company could have a uh, live chat SDR that just is focused on could be. optimizing live chat. You, you can specialize out, but if you're small, you probably have one SDR and one salesperson. Um, I, I mean, I guess the smaller you get, the less relevant it becomes to an extent, but you could still rather than having two salespeople have one SDR and one salesperson. Yeah, and that really is the right model for if you if you have only have two salespeople, one should be a junior one. Again, if you have inbound leads, they should be handling those. If you don't, they should be in prospecting. And the other one is a seat, you know, closer. So the we say there's four core roles, right? There's that outbound SDR doing prospect prospecting, inbound SDR responding to kind of website leads or, or other marketing leads, closers signing new customers, and account managers who are you know upselling to current customers. So those are the four core roles. And if you don't do that yet, or I'll give you a common mistake, like that alone and having those inbound SDRs will transform, if you, you know, do it right, the, how, the kind of the results you get from your leads, right? Because you, then you get someone dedicated to make sure every lead gets followed up on, that the trash is weeded out and only the best, the, like the appropriate leads are passed on to as appointments, pre-qualified appointments for the salespeople. It's just, it's not realistic. It's not good business to expect the salespeople to do all their own lead follow-up because they won't. No one does. Right. No one right. does it. So Especially if they have a lot of accounts and they they just want to yeah, nurture those no, accounts. Just, they can get yeah. lazy and just say, hey, I've got enough accounts. I'm doing well. I don't need to mm -hmm. do cold calling or follow-up on leads. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'll just gonna close my accounts more. So you don't need, you don't get them closing or pursuing leads or generating leads. They're really just managing accounts. They're an account manager, but you think of them as a salesperson and wondering why they're not closing new accounts. Like eh, yeah, they got existing no. accounts that they're working. Yeah, exactly. So sales role specialization, that's step one, because if you don't do that or do it the, the wrong way, then everything else is harder. So common mistake, uh, or just a couple, couple. So one common mistake is waiting too long to specialize. Um, all you need is two people. I mean, you can specialize with one person, you just specialize with their calendar, right? So if I'm the CEO, I'm a company, I got a few hundred thousand, a couple of million, I'm the one person in sales, I get the leads and this happens. I might on my calendar put um, certain time, block out times to do things like customer success or prospecting. But as soon as you have two people, generally it's one junior salesperson and one closer. So that's where you, you don't wait to specialize. Now the other really common mistake is and let's assume, let's say you have more than one person in that junior role. So you've got a couple of sales, a couple of junior salespeople, a couple of these SDRs. Really common mistake is having them one SDR 
do both inbound lead response and outbound prospecting. The reason this is a huge mistake is the metrics of these jobs are very similar, right? If I'm looking at someone who, who's responding to my inbound leads, I want to know, you know how many leads are they getting to review? I want to know how many kind of uh, their email response rate, how many activities are doing and kind of the results, like how many, uh, how many calls are making, but how many live conversations are they having? How many, we call them, are we a fit calls or, or meaningful mm-hmm. conversations? How many appointments or demos or discovery calls are they setting up? So you're not uh, counting that, the wrong number dials as calls. It's, it's having a conversation right. with somebody who's actually a, a opportunity maybe. Yeah, it's better. I mean, if you, if you count dials, it's not bad, but what matters is, am I talking to people live on the phone? Um, so you're saying if you've got one person, if you're a one person shop or you have one salesperson, they're going to divide themselves up and say, you know, one chunk of time a day, I'm an SDR and another chunk of time a day, I'm doing sales. And that way they're, they're turning themselves into kind of two, they segment. If you have two, you're going to have an SDR and a salesperson. If you have yes. three, you want an inbound SDR and outbound SDR and a salesperson. Well, now we get to kind of, it depends. It depends on how many leads you're getting through the website. It depends point, yeah. because if I have five leads a month, if I have 500 leads a month. Yeah. You don't need a person so, to manage one lead a day or something like that. No, I mean, mm-hmm. and I know a company, I just did a, an assessment with a company um, and the CEO, I mean, it's like a $20 million company and the CEO still, they maybe get 20 or 40 or 50 leads a month inbound leads and they do six figure deals and so on. But the CEO is the one who, who receives the inbound leads and kind of triages them. Like mm-hmm. that's not bad because at least he knows exactly how, what needs to happen, but he needs to delegate that to someone else so that he can focus right. on other things. But if it's a small amount of very high value leads, you can have a higher value person looking at them. Yeah. So this is um, sort of where you got to use your, your judgment on if we're in this, I only got three people. How do I divide them? Um, but where you end up on, is at some point you do have all these different roles. Um, and as you get bigger, you can have, you divide them up into segments. So you might have salespeople. Usually if you're a SaaS company, you end up with like enterprise salespeople, you know, and then you mid-market salespeople and small business salespeople typically, right? And your outbound prospectors also end up getting divided towards like targeting big accounts versus smaller mm-hmm. because of the complexity. On the lead side, it's different. So again, here's what the most common a uh, very common mistake that companies make is, okay, we have SDRs. Well, first, mis- the biggest mistake is not having them if you're a B2B, right? And if you have, if you're basically selling to consumers, you know, like one person businesses, maybe you don't need them. Um, if it's a really fast sales cycle, like one or two calls kind of thing, you'd probably just have the same person taking the calls and closing. But um the main mistake is having this inbound function with leads and outbound prospecting and having the same SDR do both. So again, I'm an SDR. Uh, I'm getting some leads from marketing. I'm supposed to prospect too. That's a huge no-no because again, I mentioned the metrics are very similar. How many conversations, how many emails and response rates, how many uh, are we a fit calls, kind of pre-qualification calls, how many appointments am I passing to my salespeople? Well, the metrics are very similar, but the jobs and conversion rates are completely different. And the value, I guess. So if you're looking at metrics and saying how many calls totally do they different. make, they're going to say, well, they're just going to, they're going to, they could make the wrong calls basically and not pursue the high value inbound it's, stuff at a, yeah, well, with more attention than they do the outbound kind of. It's a little different. It means that um, I'm going to put my, more attention on the inbound leads because they're easier. 
And I'm not going to be able to be focused. I'm not going to be able to be very effective and focused on the outbound side. So, so how would you make a hierarchy just, of when you're hiring them? Like what's the lowest to highest value? Your closer is probably the highest value. Maybe account manager if you have separate. Yeah. Down in the SDRs, um, well, when you first hire somebody, do you pull them through and say you're going to start at inbound, then you're going to go to outbound, and then you'll become an, a sales closer? What does that look like? Yes, basically. So, no, you're right. I mean, lucky guess. I, I do want, I want to emphasize the thing is if you're at a company where the executives are resisting this idea of sales specialization, right? Because salespeople should fill, you know, do their own prospecting and we can't, we don't have budget for SDRs. And there's a lot of reasons that, um, first of all, you should uh, buy the, this is the newest book from impossible to inevitable. So this is probably the best education of your executive team, uh, why they need to make the right decision. All the, again, the fastest growing companies in the world all do this. Like this is their growth playbook. And so if they're not doing this, they need to have a really good reason. But I want to, I want to back you up on that really quick. Yeah. The, the reason you're here today and the reason I know about you um, is, and I, I think a lot of people, everyone should know who Aaron Ross is, but if you don't and you're listening to this, great, you do now. But um, I was looking to develop a sales team and I was looking at different models and I struggled for years over whether to have what I was calling a farm league or not. And after a couple of years of, of struggling, I came across your book and I read it and I was, I was upset when I was reading it. Cause I was like, these ideas are great. This is <laughs> what revenue. I've been killing myself. Yeah. The predictable, yep. I've been killing myself to have um, weaker versions of these same thoughts, not as good of a flushed out versions of these thoughts. If I'd found this book years ago, I would have saved so much time and energy and made so many less mistakes trying to build. Again, I had some version of what you were, you, you were, uh, uh, yeah. describing and, and laying out for people in the book. So yeah, I would say read that, read that book, whether you're in sales or marketing, that just the general yeah. concepts on how and why this works are things that people really need to, to know. So that's my book endorsement is I came across it to, you know, after the fact it was still great to read. Um, but boy, if I had read that before, I would have saved and made so much more money. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that from a lot of people. I hear that from, I would say actually because the impossible book, I think it's called From Impossible to Inevitable, has more sections dedicated to marketing. This would be a better one, book for the for marketing people to start with. People, I, and this is called the, uh, the Growth Bible of Silicon Valley, whereas Predictable Revenue is called the Sales Bible of Silicon Valley. But I think fundamentally- aside, um, yeah. SDRs, they have sales right in the title. And I've had this talk with, with many other people, asked this question to them. I'd like to know where you come down on it. Are they under the sales team, the marketing team? Does it vary based on the company? Like who oversees the SDR? Um, it does. It varies because, you know, in, in the book, Predictable Revenue, um, we actually call that inbound SDR a mar an MRR, a market response rep. Um, trying to keep the name names different, but I just, you know, so Ultimately, it comes down to which executive or which leader, whether it's marketing or sales, is more passionate about making these functions work because they do, they take more, you know, what I found is that a lot of people are like, oh, hey, let's add an SDR team, whether it's outbound or inbound, let's just hire a couple of young people and kind of like get them in the seat and have them send some emails. And people don't realize how many nuts and bolts and dials and uh, 
parts and pieces need to be put together to turn that job into one that works really well and creates predictable results. So whichever department, uh, basically you put them in, in a cage match and whoever wins that cage match and wants the SDRs the most. Um, if one department, if sales says we don't need SDRs uh, and marketing is, is asking for it, then it's under marketing kind of. Yeah, exactly. And so who's, who's able to really dedicate more uh, attention and ownership to it to get it off the ground? At some point, they usually end up in, in sales because it's part of the sales career path, really. You can hire you know, starts loving them once they start people prepped leads they're like we want these guys under our umbrella they're awesome yeah so um i mean it's pretty common that after even if they start under marketing at some point one few years it's not uncommon for it to move over to sales but it's really who's going to be more dedicated to it and it can take six to 12 months at least for the outbound prospecting side the outbound sdr and a lot of times that's under marketing sometimes under sales, it just depends on the leadership that can take six to 12 months to staff and kind of get all the systems and all the process and everything set up so that it's creating predictable results. So they have to, it's not this, Hey, let's just get some people in and do it. That just doesn't work unless you're lucky. You need, they need to really be prepared for, uh, you know, to do it right. It's, it's, it's a project. And lucky is not a good business plan. <laughs> I don't know if it works for you, I suppose it is, but <laughs> I got to write a business plan. That's all I write on there. We'll just get lucky. We'll just get lucky. It happens. Hey, why not us? <laughs> yeah. The inbound SDR or MR or market response rep side is easier because they're just getting leads and responding to them. Mm-hmm. It's much easier than trying to go start conversations with cold prospects, but they're still between the field, like they're configuring your CRM and all the fields and the process. It's been, yeah, it's still a lot. Is it more important to get all those, those details set up or to get started? Like if small company, would you say get right. one SDR, get them going, just have them sitting close to the sales rep and the marketing and just get them in there? Yeah. Get them in and get started. Because it's, it's impossible to kind of lay out, I mean, you can start with kind of like a template of the different fields and process, but there's all, every company is so different. And the way you use their CRM or, or whether it's salesforce.com or something else is so different. You know, you just get them in and get them started and kind of you, it take a few months to build the playbooks and systems into place. I'm seeing people thinking now, but wait, what are all these details you guys are talking about? Uh, there and go read the book. It's in there. We don't have time uh, to go for everything. <laughs> yeah. I would say all you, if you don't have a team, the number one step, whether it's inbound or outbound is like decide on which, who, which manager or leader who is responsible kind of figuring it out. And then their next step is to create some kind of starting plan. And so that keeps it simple. Like it's, it's Jane and Jane's going to figure it out and come up with a plan. That's all you need to do is pick one person to be, that's their thing. It's not a committee approach. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I want to take a quick break here. The time is just flying by. Um, so when, when we come back, we will, uh, we'll address some of the other questions we have here around uh, outbound marketing. I think you have a case study I'd love to hear about. Uh, so we've got, Aaron Ross here with us from uh, Predictable Revenue. You're listening to the Ify Market Podcast. We'll be right back. It passes before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. Within a tenth of a second, the reaction is passed, but not without leaving its mark. Someone found what they were looking for. Does your website deliver impulses to act? 
it can. Find out how successful, curious, creative, and data-driven marketers are making a difference on purpose. Visit IntendedPodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences. Marketing on Purpose. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Today we have Aaron Ross, the uh, co-CEO of Predictable Revenue. Aaron, am I getting that right? Are you the CEO, founder, co-CEO? What kind of what kind of title do you want? Uh, to uh, co-CEO, founder, co-CEO. Sorry, I, I didn't I didn't want to mess that up if we had the wrong thing on the paper. Um, right. So SDRs, let's um, jump back into this. And the we've talked a lot about inbound and outbound. Can you describe the difference between inbound and outbound? Kind of touched on it, but how does that apply within SDRs specifically? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's. There's, let me break down. There's two types of inbound and outbound. There's kind of like the most common understanding, which is outbound prospecting, where I have people who are kind of calling, emailing, or using social media down like a targeted list. It used to be all cold calling, but that's changed. So that's the classic version of outbound. And inbound, which I know the word marketing and inbound have been associated to almost synonymously now for content marketing, right? Inbound is uh, kind of generating leads that come to you. But, you know, what I find is that there's so much confusion with executive teams and even in marketing around leads and different types of leads. So how often, and even in our own company, but how often do executives go to marketing and say, we need more leads, right? We've been doing 500 a month. And then Every we, day probably, yeah. <laughs> we need a projection for next year ramping up to, you know, double that. Right? And there's just kind of like more new leads, more leads. But, you know, a lead is not a lead is not a lead. Right? If I generate a thousand webinar leads, like, you know, what is that worth? Maybe that's only worth like 10 word of mouth leads. Right. So, so the marketing might say, oh, you want double the leads? Great. We'll just start calling every web visitor a, a yeah. lead. And now we got double the leads tomorrow. Yeah. Or, hey, let's throw some, uh, some ads up on Facebook and get people to click, but they don't convert to actually qualified. Mm-hmm. So there's too much focus. And it's usually kind of executives top down on kind of amount of leads without regard to the type of lead and the quality of the lead. I think so they see it as a dial they can turn. They're just like, we need more revenue, so I'll ask for more leads. Yeah, more leads, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where this, so there's two things. The idea of seeds, nets, and spears came from this. And uh, what that is around like realization that word of mouth leads, which we call seeds, can very different in terms of metrics, expectations, conversion rates, and sales cycle length than marketing generated leads which we call nets, right? Casting a wide net, right? Which is really more about quantity over quality, typically. Mm-hmm. And those are different than spears, which would be the outbound prospecting or outbound business development type leads, where you're getting like a few leads, but they're high, more highly qualified and usually bigger deal size. Right. So on so one, maybe you're building brand, you're putting content out to drive people, that kind of stuff. The marketing ones, yeah. Well, yeah, brand and, and leads, but, you know, it's like webinars. It's kind of that one-to-many, like webinars or billboards or online marketing or PPC, SEO, blog, content, all that stuff. So it's very different than the kind of outbound prospecting, which is I'm going to, you know, pick a, a company like Ford and find the right decision maker and try to reach them. Right. Understand who they are, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's also different than the seeds or word of mouth, which is generally the best way to kind of grow those is through a customer success program to make sure that you have the right customers that you're selling to and targeting, that they have the right expectations set in the sales cycle 
and that they are onboarded and see value in the product. Because if they do, you'll have more retention, uh, upsells, cross-sells, better testimonial, and so on. Right? So seeds, nets, and spears, three different types. But let's actually do, dive into the marketing leads alone because even in marketing, and this is in the, in the impossible book, we kind of, um, I have a VP of revenue and marketing named Mina Sandu. She's great. And she wrote a section called the three uh, uncommon tactics of hypergrowth CMOs. And one of the points in there was that um, basically you needed to differentiate or discern the difference between inbound marketing and outbound marketing. So again, if I'm doing content-based marketing, social media marketing, where I have content up, people get to read that, they know a bit about it, and then they come to my, let's say, website, those kinds of leads can, again, be sort of organically created typically, but be different in terms of metrics and uh, conversion rates and sales cycles than outbound marketing leads, which would be ones where you're really reaching out, a lot of paid marketing typically, like PPC or LinkedIn ads. Um, and there's so many ways you can market, but you're kind of trying to reach out to people proactively that haven't ever heard of you before. Right. So it sounds and like you're saying areas, but we need like, to attribute a value. We've got to chop these up and give them different values. Um, well, it's kind of like, or have different SDRs working them. But if you have different SDRs, you're not going to have your spear SDR having the same quota, let's say, a day of, of, of people he's reaching out to as your net or your seed um, type, type of marketing. Is that true? I mean, if one, uh, if you're asking somebody to make 100 cold calls a day or 200 cold calls a day, and you're asking someone else to reach out to 10 prospects a day, it kind of shows a 10 to one value right there. Yeah, it's, it's understanding for this type of campaign, whether it's done by an outbound prospector, whether it's uh, kind of like Facebook ads, whether it's a social media effort, like what kinds of leads are we getting and what kinds of, what do we expect to get from those leads? Cause they can be wildly different. Again, right. I like webinar leads as an example because you know, again, like 10 word of mouth referrals might be worth a thousand webinar leads. So when you're executives, so here's the tricky part. Um, if I'm a marketing person and I'm kind of looking at my different uh, campaigns and, you know, inbound marketing, outbound marketing, it's just a generalization to try to help people understand that the results you'll get from some types of campaigns like inbound you know, social media content driven campaigns where theoretically people are more educated by the time they come to your, as coming as a lead generally you're going to get better conversion rates like qualification rates and, and close rates from those types of leads than outbound marketing campaigns. Again, like Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or PPC where you're reaching people where they may or may, they probably don't know you. And when they come in, they're colder. Mm -hmm. And again, both all these leads, these are all, so these are all marketing leads. We go typically through an inbound SDR, right? That person who's responsible for, they sit there, let's just use salesforce.com as an example, as a CRM. They're in CR, they're your CRM. They say, show me all my new leads for today. Oh, here's some ones that came in through social media. Here's some that came in through webinar. Here's some that came in through a LinkedIn campaign. And they can kind of gauge, all right, well, uh, which ones are going to be the most likely to be valuable, where we're going to get results. So this is the that again, inbound SDR or market response rep. They're all going to that person. But it's really for the marketing person. It's really more about how do you set expectations for executives, which is just because they say you want more leads 
yeah, I could spend more money on Facebook, but we're not going to get more qualified leads out of that. Or, right. You actually want to be more successful. So you might need to point out to them, there's a 10 to one value here. And yep. we're actually going to focus on this lower volume, higher return lead instead of doing a bunch more of, you know, XYZ activity, which brings in a ton of, you know, Google AdWord clicks, but they're all, you know, half of them are bogus or something like that. It, yeah. The conversion and, rate is so much lower. Yeah. And we, we don't want, we want to maybe use cost per lead maybe, but what, here's what we, here, here's the thing that if you can get the executive team and management team to focus on the number of either sales qualified leads, and there's a bunch of different terms for the same thing here. Whether some people call it sales qualified lead, qualified lead, sales opportunity, sales accepted. But it's really the, at the point of a lead has been, uh, ideally, a salesperson talked to them and has accepted them as into their pipeline. So sales accepted lead. Uh, again, some people, everyone's a bit different, so you might do it a little earlier. But basically, there's some quality control on, hey, this lead is relevant to our sales pipeline. That's the metric that you want to focus on. Sometimes executives are resistant to that because it's different and they just, I don't know, people get stuck in their habits, but we recommend, and it's even in the impossible book that sales leader, I'm sorry, marketing leaders should be on quota as well, just like sales, but the quota should be around sales qualified leads or again, maybe call them sales accepted leads, not just the number of new leads. Now at some point, does that go even farther where you say, we're, we have attribution on these leads and you're saying you have to name them differently. It has to be inbound, outbound, because that allows you to give them different attribution and eventually have numbers on specific ROIs for specific types of leads. Yeah. I don't, it's more, I don't know if we would do it at kind of like the inbound or outbound level, but ideally you would, you would like to do it at the campaign level, which is I have my LinkedIn campaign. I've got my, uh, you know, maybe a Facebook campaign. I've got a PPC no, again, attribution is so tricky because look, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not in the weeds in the marketing every day. I know people have tried for so long to like, I, I kind of tend to ignore the multi-touch attribution, which is okay. They, they clicked on an ad and then they went and saw an ebook and then they came in. You just can't, you just don't know. So the two things that we look at that I tend to look at is like, what, what was the lead type, which means that when it, when the lead was captured, was it captured as like a webinar? Was it captured as a chat? Like the mechanism of entry, the mechanism of, reg of uh, registration. So the lead mm -hmm. type. And that's different than lead source. Lead source would be, where did you originally hear about this? And generally that has to be asked. You can get some data sometimes, like if they click on an ad, you'll get that. But you always want, ideally, the first person to talk to that lead to ask, how did you originally hear about us? Was it right. the ad? Inbound call. Like, how did you hear about us? Otherwise, you, have no, you could have this great yep. source and you have no idea because it doesn't leave a, a footprint kind of. Yeah. So lead type. And again, that's just the labels I use. Lead type for inbound call. Lead type would be like an 800 call. But the source of that lead would be where did they hear about us? Oh, you know, my friend told me. Right. So that'd be a referral source for the type of a call, an inbound call. Like for us at predictablerevenue.com, we get people who click on, a, I don't know, LinkedIn ad or um, see a webinar. And, but for us, the people, the mo the best source of leads are people who've read our books, the From Impossible to Inevitable or Predictable Revenue. The lead type and lead source are different. And 
one more time just because I lead source, you usually as much as you can you want, you have to ask that verbally or over email of the prospect because whatever data you're gathering isn't bad, but it never can tell you the original place that they heard about you or found your name. It, right. They clicked on it. It might be the ad, but it may not be. And that's important. You might market. have somebody who does, gives you a lot of referrals and you don't even know it if you don't find that out. Yeah. You know, don't know. And you might find out that a large percentage of business come from referrals, but you think it comes from inbound calls. You know, realize they're not seeing you online and calling a number. They're not seeing a billboard. They're getting referred. Yeah. So ultimately, you asked about inbound, outbound. It's kind of up to that marketer's job to clump different kinds of campaigns in a way that is helpful for other people to understand the expectations and results where you might say, okay, for all our paid media, you know, it's just maybe for me, they're all pretty similar. So I'll lump in Facebook and LinkedIn and PPC into sort of one bucket of we're spend because what we're spending is like, if I'm trying to educate an executive and I need, I should know my executives, like some of them want tons of detail and some don't. Some just want you to say, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, let right. me do it. <laughs> and you want to be careful with that one. You do need to, sometimes you would need to be proactive in educating them because it's easy to say, oh, just do what you're doing. And then when something goes wrong later, they're like, what happened? Right. Well, they're like, well, you're fired. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, this comes down to if you're trying to understand, hey, what kinds of sort of campaigns and places are we getting types of leads? What happens to them? What's kind of the how many new leads have I getting, but how many of those turn into sales qualified leads and how do I bucket those types of campaigns into ways that make sense that I can educate my team, whether it's around the cost of new leads or the, the cost of a new lead or the cost of a sales qualified lead, which is even more important or, okay, you want more qualified leads. Where should we get them? Yeah. I could do more webinars and get, you know, thousands of leads, they're not, they're not in the short term going to convert anything. Right? Those are longer term nurturing projects. So like, where are we going to get more leads? So you can have better conversations with managers and executives when you're, so you may easily find out that your this. outbound SDR is producing three sales qualified leads a day and your webinar with 500 attendees is producing, you know, one a week when, when you start looking yep. at it that way. Could be. Or you may find out the other that webinars are amazing for you, but if you don't yeah. chop it up that way and look at it, you won't you won't know. And yeah, and, yeah. So, to kind of campaign by, by campaign that way, and, and not. Uh, but even with webinars, you know, for some companies, maybe it works really well to do a webinar, and then you have an SDR like contact those people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you realize if that works, great. Sometimes you realize that it's kind of a waste of time to do that. You might as well just add them into your nurture list and newsletter and. This is depends on if you have a lot of SDR help and resources, they can do that. If you're limited on SDR help and resources, then you got to focus on the highest value types of leads to pursue. I suppose worst case scenario, you just, you take the webinar, you have three salespeople and no SDRs. You take the webinar attendees, give them out to them and watch them not pursue them because they're pursuing things they feel is a higher value or something like that. I wouldn't even, yeah, at that point it's almost always a waste of time unless you have like a salesperson, Sometimes you get an AE or a salesperson that is very hungry and aggressive and proactive. It's kind of rare. Um, actually, I mean, the goal is for them to be so busy with their pipeline, they don't have time to do like webinar outreach, right? right. That's, that's what you want. If they're good, they'll tell you, yeah, I picked out these five that I'll bother to call. The rest aren't worth my time. I'm closing yeah. deals. Maybe give them to right. somebody else. And if they find good stuff, feed it back to me. You say, oh yeah, exactly. we need an SDR. 
Um, so I want to make sure we get to a couple things here. Uh, you've got uh, a line here on building an outbound program right the first time. Yep. Uh, so that makes me think, oh, there's definitely some ways to go wrong here. I'd really love to touch on those. We've touched on some already, but can, can we focus on that for a minute on how to build it right the first time yep. and, uh, and maybe some examples of how to build it wrong too? Yep. So there's a section in the impossible book and it's, it's, it's really how to build an outbound prospecting team right the first time. So and I know I could see it be confusing to like outbound marketing. Like if we would say like PPC and Facebook and LinkedIn ads um, versus outbound prospecting, which is a salesperson, a junior salesperson doing the prospecting, doing outbound to people. So when you're building uh, a team, an outbound team of outbound SDRs, really common mistakes. One of the most common is you have, it's the thing, the magic happens once you get someone on the executive team who's responsible for it. They may not be doing the work, but they are in charge of it of making sure things happen. And there's a first prospector who's dedicated 100% to doing outbound prospecting, right? Cold emailing, cold calling, cold social, et cetera. So that's one good leader, doing. one good SDR, and then you're going to start seeing. That's like the minimum really to have stuff like results happen. So that's one people, I mean, you can dabble with some people doing kind of some part-time things, but you're not really going to see significant revenue or results from that. The other common mistake is people expect results to happen way too fast. We hired this outbound SDR, you know, okay, it's, they've been here for two weeks. Have they gotten any appointments? The joke that we have in the company is, um, so our predictablerevenue.com helps companies either build outbound SDR teams. We also do outsourcing, uh, kind of like including building remote SDR teams for companies. Uh, we'll have a, let's say the client has a six month sales cycle. And it's been two months. And like, where's where's our deals? Let's right. see. It's been two months. Better chop this SDR team because they haven't produced any mm. sales for us yet. Yeah, and to, yeah. So, but it can take six to twelve months if you're starting from scratch to build. Let's call it if you're doing an internal team where you're hiring your own people, managing them internally, to like get the right people, get the systems in place. Usually, it can be like Salesforce.com and outreach or sales loft, but there's a lot of different tools the process, everything else, and to the point where they're generating a regular predictable number of qualified opportunities. Um, and that six to 12, four to 12 months, six to 12 months varies a lot based on how challenging or not your niche is. If you're in a very commoditized, uh, if you don't really stand out, you know, if you're in like web hosting or, um, you know, digital agencies or, or creative B2B agencies. B2B lists or something like that. Yeah. B2B lists. Yeah. They have that, that same problem. It's a commodity. Yeah. Point. Yeah. So that's, Partly kind of forcing you to we call it nail your niche, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a reason that is the first section of the impossible book because it's so vital to getting any results from outbound prospecting or outbound marketing. Uh, but that's where a lot of that difference is. But I think the best thing you, you can do is if you get kind of like your best person as the the project leader, and they hire a great first SDR, everything else will be easier. You don't have to hire own inter internal people in a lot of our businesses outsourcing for companies or uh, we now we're for companies that don't want, don't feel like they have the capacity to hire manage their own SDRs. Uh, we're building remote outbound prospecting teams for people right? and managing building and managing to try to simplify it for people. So you've got like Uber SDR where you can uh, rent one. Uh, kind of, it's a little more involved than that, but yeah, if to keep it simple, um, they're basically, they act like they're part of your team. They just don't, 
work in your office. So it's not yeah. outsourcing. It's really they're on your calls, they're in your systems, they're they're really big, like a remote, uh, remotely hired, built and managed. SDR, uh, SDR a remote non-employee employee kind of right yeah. yeah you basically are an employee they just kind of like not legally and so on because we found there's so many different little pieces for companies to like it there's so much implementation in the details and a lot of companies just struggle with that so you just take that away for them like you don't have to worry about it you just plug into this person's up and running for you um yeah it's not quite that way a lot of the risk yeah yeah, to I'm sure it's a lot of work on your side, but for them, it's not that. It is right. We it, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work going into making it run smoothly. So we, and unless the 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 client focus on, you know, more like their sales team and sales process and, and other things, rather than uh, all the implementation details of, you know, getting a team up and running. Which you mentioned something a minute ago. Happened, yeah, I want to jump back. You said nailing a niche, and it made me think let's say you bring on an SDR. Were, were you referencing there basically when I bring on an SDR and your product targets business service companies, are, were you saying don't give them a list of business service companies and say, call these, find a niche within those and say, know about this niche, know what product of ours this niche would want within business services, you know, and, and reach out to that specific area versus just in general calling all target audience and pitching them all. Yes, you're okay. right on. So, cause most, the thing is what's different about outbound prospecting or even marketing. And this is what I've learned after doing this for like 15 years of outbounding. Um, it's very challenging to start conversations with people who don't know you. And a common mistake is that yeah, we have business services as our top type of customer. Um, and companies don't really know the pain they're solving. Like, why do these companies buy? Right. They don't really know. So, and they what, all have different pains. So, if you have, they have to learn all of those just to get up and running. Yeah. It's so the the so best much way to more start, difficult. even something simple like, it's not just the type of company, but it's also understanding why did they buy? Like, what were they looking for? So because when you're doing outbound, you do need to be a lot more specific. And again, either outbound prospecting or even outbound marketing with ads, you can't, if you do general messaging, it's just not going to right. resonate with people. because We can help up. you increase your sales. That means nothing. Yeah. We can, <laughs> if you want to increase your revenue and decrease costs, call us. Yeah. Like, right, great. Not. We don't know if you're a software or what, what you are. So no. instead of saying business services, you might say software. And then instead of software, you say, well, software as a service, not just software as a service, but MarTech specifically. And then you're like, not just MarTech. We want to go after ERP companies. Um, so it's, yeah. is, it, is it like that? It's really getting down and saying, great. Now you only need to know ERP. That, yeah, maybe only ERP companies that uh, use Drupal. Right. Yep. So right. then you have this really niche and you know their pain point. You know the, the couple ways that you would benefit them very specifically for their exact situation. And now the SDR can be up and running that much faster. Yep. And so here's a simple exercise that um, I find just helps companies learn a lot, which is take like your top 10 biggest customers and exclude any kind of weird ones. Because like, sometimes you have this, some weird outlier and I think you'd know who they are. And just go through those top even five or 10 customers and look at what kind of company are they? Um, when they first bought, why did they buy? And you're looking for patterns, not only for the type of company, but also the, the problems they were dealing with at the time. 
because right, so why did they buy kind of why what, what were they trying to do yeah what was going on so you can look at you know there's like four different types of filters you can look for you can look you know firmographics which is you know by company size and geography and industry you can look at demographics which are kind of the people like how titles and uh you can look at psychographics not through listening but you know what was kind of culture going on in those pains internally mm -hmm. Did they just merge? Did the yeah yeah events you know trigger events? And there's technographics, which which tools and technologies are they using that might be relevant to my my targeting? So in all these, and you're just really looking for like how do I differentiate the companies where they need us versus the ones where we are nice to have, where they might be interested but they're not going to buy. Or you're trying because, to sell snow to an Eskimo, which is not the situation you want to put a sales rep in. No, because then you need luck. Yeah. You can you can sell snow to an Eskimo if you find the right rock star, but you can't create a predictable system out of that. Right. It's, you know, you might as why not just sell snow to you know the stadium goers in Atlanta in the summer. Yeah. It's a lot Some of people who actually want your product. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, it's just you're just looking for this. What's the differences between the people who bought and paid you, you know, for and for bigger deal sizes and the ones where they were more successful, your ideal customers, and how are they different than the companies that didn't buy or it didn't go well. And that's a great, a great starting point to being more detailed around, like I said, it's not just the industry, it's the sub industry, it's the type of company, the situation. And we're trying to get to be as specific as we can around right. who that ideal customer is, why would they be interested in what would we say? Because outbound can be tricky and it's a busy world out there. It's only getting busier. So the more targeted you can be with who, the type of company, the type of person, and the message, right? What are you saying in your phone call or email? The more like you'll get something out of it. So both the message and the learning curve for the SDR when they have so much less to learn. They don't have to learn every type of company and every type of product. Right, it's, it is easier that way too. It's just simplifying it for them so that, you know, you don't break them with just too much, too much to learn and, and, yep. and can get that sales cycle faster and lead cycle faster. Um, one thing that uh, when you're talking about narrowing down that niche that uh, and identifying the company and, and who and what, and I realize we have written on the wall here, basically like in an, in an I'm going to mess the word up, a journalist. Um, I was going to say investigatory journalist. Um, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, sometimes they, they, they need to know. And one thing I see people getting wrong a lot is they look at all the other aspects, but when they look at it, they say, here's our contact at this company. This is who we're selling to. So this is who we want to go pursue. And a really important part of moving back through and saying, not who's this company now, but who were they when we sold to them? Right. Yeah. Also, who exactly. did we approach? Because you may work with the CTO now, that might be the, your, your contact, or you may work with the owner now, but that's not who you got in the door with. So you have right. your SDRs calling the owners, and you're like, no one knows. You actually talked for six months with the receptionist before you got escalated or, or you know, with the somebody yeah. lower in HR and then you eventually it got up and this guy now signs the stuff, but that's not where all the work was done. That's not where you got the foot in the door. They also make sure you look back at who was that original contact and is that who you should be reaching out to instead of wasting your time on people who are never going to answer your phone and email and stuff. Yeah. And maybe, and two last tips. I know we're out of time. One is, um, you know, there are differences between early adopters and mainstream buyers, which again sort of go over in the impossible book, but early adopters are people who just get it. They're like, oh yeah, makes sense. A lot of your early customers often, but as you start to grow past them and you uh, speak to mainstream buyers who are much more risk averse, 
they need a lot more documentation, justification, case studies, ROI analyses. And so you have to be prepared to get into their minds a lot more and prepare more stuff for them. And the last tip is I think companies don't do enough interviews. And in this case, uh, let's say you go through that process of, Hey, top five or 10 customers, you know, a whiteboard session. You really also want not just a marketing person and you want a couple people who've done the most selling, like a senior salesperson, maybe CEO in there who can really speak to like that sales process and like what they saw. But after that, you know, it's easy. That's all theory. still. you know, do even three, three interviews with customers I mean, ideally they're not customers because the customers are still biased, but it can be hard to, you know, if you can get interviews with the right kinds of prospects, but they're not customers, that's ideal. If you can't do that, customers. Hard to do on the phone, but maybe at an event, you grab somebody yeah, and you're like, hey, yeah. give me 10 minutes, let me ask you some questions. Yeah, and you're really trying to get into their heads around like, what are they thinking about? What are their priorities? Um, you're really trying to listen and not put your own agenda onto it. But what you're looking for are these key words and key phrases, kind of like a Google SEO or SEO approach. Like, what are the words they speak about? What are the problems? How, what's their language? Forget your language, because companies, we always talk about our stuff. Like, listen for their language. And in a good interview, you can find some great phrases to use in whether it's in cold emails or ads or other places. If you just listen and you're kind of, again, what are their top priorities of which uh, you you might be one of their priorities, but you may not be. Right. And getting inside the head of the deal with you can you're trying to read their minds better. Right. They frequently don't care about your product until they absolutely need it. <laughs> yeah. And you're just trying to say, all right, what do you care about, and how, where do you fall on that list, and how can you tie back to things they care about? Right. And use that, like you said, the verbiage, their language. You can't tell sell to them in your language. You're yeah. guessing that hopefully you align with some people instead yeah. of finding out. I'll give, you one ex I'll give you one language example too. So we have a, a client called Kemberton that sells to hospitals and they sell like financial services offering. And they, on the, this is the prospecting side. They were sending uh, cold emails or calling and asking these hospitals, uh, who's in charge of receivables? Now in hospital, you've got patient receivables, vendor receive. I mean, it's just complicated. So they weren't getting any responses and they switched to, who's in charge of patient cash, which is kind of like internal jargon. And they're like immediately started getting responses because it was so obvious to those people who that was. And it was different than all the other language, all the other emails and hours that sounded the same. Yeah. Um, that's just like a small switch. It's usually not quite that simple, but the principle is speak their language, not yours, and you'll get better results, whether it's in a marketing campaign or a outbound prospecting campaign. We have companies come to us. We do a lot of data stuff, of course, and uh, they'll say, hey, we can do email verification. I say, okay, great. So can a lot of other people and none of it's very good. Recently, a company came to us and said, uh, we, can, uh, we can verify catch-alls. I said, oh, now that's our language. You don't even mention the word email. You said catch-all. To us, we know what that means. We respond within five yeah. minutes. Tell me more. Let's talk. <laughs> what do yeah. I schedule a call? Yeah, that's the difference than uh, having the right language, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. Um, okay, yeah, we've, we've gone through a lot. There's so much more we could do. Yeah. The, I, I wish I had, a, I listened to an audio. I don't think I have a physical version of, of your book. So much. Work. Yeah. We don't have the, the audio. This is a second edition with a lot of the marketing stuff we talked about. We don't have it updated in the audio side yet. So mm, I'll this, have to get uh, the physical one on that. I recently started yeah. reading physical books. I'm a terrible reader, so it's tough, but I, I like physical I business books, but digital fiction books. Yeah. I will say uh, it's neat because uh, Dave Gerhard, who's the VP of marketing at Drift, 
just put from impossible to inevitable on a list of the top five marketing books. If he, if he recommended five and I don't know, there's like one from Seth Godin, there's one, of, and uh, Al Reese or Rise, the 22 laws of mutable marketing. And this is one of them, the impossible books. So that was fun to see. That's awesome. Yeah. It's well, in my memory, it's been a couple of years, but it is an awesome book and I'll have to get the yep. new one and check out the more marketing stuff in there. Um, so I guess that's one of the things we'd tell the, uh, the listeners here, go check out that book. Um, you know, if you get the old audio book, that's okay. But the newer version just has so much more stuff in it. Um, also you can find uh, predictablerevenue.com and, um, yeah, that's our LinkedIn. main site. Yep. Of course on LinkedIn, you can find just Aaron Ross there, search for him. He'll pop right up. And then, uh, you guys have a podcast as well, right? Yeah. The predictable revenue podcast, uh, mostly talking. for sales topics, like salespeople, sales topics, prospecting and closing. Um, but I think, again, any marketing person should educate themselves on sales, just like Absolutely. a salesperson or at least leader should educate themselves on marketing so that you can work together. I know, shocking. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're a marketer and you have a marketing podcast and you don't listen to anything on sales, get rid of one of those podcasts, not ours, another one, <laughs> and, uh, and pick up Predictable Revenue, pick up a sales podcast or two. It's really Yeah, become a, a business person who can market, not a marketing person. Yeah. Yep. And you'll be more successful. And then uh, book, um, I think at fromimpossible.com. Is that where people can find it? Probably yeah, on Amazon uh, or else. It's on Amazon. There's a book landing page from impossible.com. From impossible.com that can take you to Amazon and has a little bit more like a summary on it and such. Fantastic. And we'll have all this in the show notes too, but you can also find um, Aaron on Twitter at uh, Moto CEO. Is that right? Moto CEO. Yeah. Moto CEO. Okay. Um, could or Mo Tosio, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Short for motorcycle CEO. Yeah. yeah. M-O-T-O. Oh, yeah. All right. So again, on the show notes, check that out. Aaron, anything else you want to throw in here before we wrap up? No, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, excited to share the, the, the ideas in the, the impossible book and predictable, especially the impossible book of, I get the same thing people say, I wish I'd read this years ago would have saved my business, my mind, my this, that, the other. Yep. Um, I've had different people say it's the best book I've ever read, best business book I've ever read. Uh, it's the book, I did it with this guy, Jason Lemkin, who founded Saster, the biggest SaaS community on the planet. And it's really like the lessons learned from all the fast growth companies, the ones that worked, the ones that didn't over the last 10 to 15 years into like a few key things that will make the biggest difference in what's going to help you grow your business. I and would like bet. an executive too, really here. Yeah. I would bet that, um, if you had a listing of the top five books as far as ROI goes, how yeah. much time did you spend reading it versus what was the return in time? I would have saved weeks, maybe months of my life if I'd spent a couple hours reading that book um, uh, years before I did. So yeah, and lots of people said, hey, I, I read the book, I did the principles and I doubled my business, or I doubled my results. Yeah, it's fantastic. We don't usually do... I mean, it seems like this whole podcast is, uh, is about um, pitching that book. But again, my story for the book is, yeah, I do want to pitch it because when I read it, I said, you know, again, it was a couple of years ago, the version I read, but it made such a difference. And I'd wish so much that I'd read it before. So I'm going to keep pushing that uh, book, both on the podcast yeah. and off. Um, thank you for, for creating that and sharing it with everybody, Aaron. Yeah, happy to. I mean, and, uh, it's, it will, yeah, I just, I know it just has changed people's lives. So that's what I wanted to help, help people do is save all the frustrations I went through with, I had a failed business and I had this, that, and the other, and 
had, I mean, I grow, I grew my business. It's been, it's about $5 million now and I have nine going on 11 kids. So it's like the stuff, the principles work. I use them for myself too. Speaking of sharing, please do uh, share this podcast on social media tell a friend, subscribe on iTunes. And on behalf of the Iffy Market team and Aaron Ross of Predictable Revenue, thank you for listening to the Iffy Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. Oh, let me correct that. If you market the shit out of it without bell marketing and SDRs, they will come. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Guy. The Iffy Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.